0: Let your kingdom come and your will be done in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. May we see you. Everyone today? One couple people are good. It was just Jen Culkin's birthday. She <gasps> should be like flying high. <laughs> right? 29. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, you don't look a day over 27, so, whew, uh, good to see everybody here today, uh, one quick announcement before we get started, uh, reminder, now is the time to be bringing candy, uh, to the church, you can just come and leave it on the coffee counter, and, uh, here's what we'll do, uh, bring it, we don't, we still don't know, I don't, Somebody here work for the city? We don't, what about trick-or-treat? Like, we have, I've been checking the city website, waiting to see. Do you know something? Yes, I did check that, but um, Moline's not listed yet, so I'm kind of waiting to see. If there's no trick-or-treating, we won't have a party. Um, Because we, you know, if, if a candy party. party. (laughs) The next day, right? Yeah, because uh, Halloween's on Saturday this year, so the next day, Sunday, we will just big old candy party. That's right. So the communion we replaced with Snickers, and uh, we'll just have a great time. So anyway, uh, let's go ahead and put our mission statement up and uh, all enthusiastically say it together. We are living a passionate mission to love Grow and go for the greater glory of God. That's what we're all about. And so uh, we're just excited. We have, like Wendy was talking about earlier, the mission doesn't stop because we're in a pandemic. The mission doesn't stop. You know, God keeps on moving, and we keep loving, we keep growing, we keep going. So we are not a circle the wagons, hunker down church. And so that's what we're all about. In fact, actually, we have preview coming up Right after service. So if you are like, I want to know more about that mission, that vision, uh, just come. And Wendy made a great big pot of chili and uh, cornbread and some sort of caramel cake thing. And so uh, if you haven't been to Preview, come to Preview and uh, we'll have a great time together. But this morning, we are going to continue our walk through 2nd Corinthians. I have been enjoying it so much. It's been a great series. I can't believe that this series is almost over, to be honest with you. We've got like one more week left, but um, last week we talked about how, as Christians, how Christians fight their battles. How do we fight our battles? Because we fight our battles differently than the world fights their battles, right? And uh, was a very important message. And so, uh, a lot of our battles take place through prayer, through studying scripture, through taking our thoughts captive. We don't fight the way the world fights, okay? And uh, so when I remember, uh, when I was a kid, I'm going to switch gears, when I was a kid, I not tell you, don't you guys love my when I was a kid stories? Yes. Yeah, okay. When I was a kid, and I got to mention this earlier before, uh, this was, ba- how many people go to bed and every once in a while... You might watch a little Netflix on your phone in bed when you go to bed. A couple people. Uh, Or how many people have a TV in your room? You might watch a little TV before you go to bed. When I was a kid, I had a clock radio on a nightstand next to my bed. That was my Netflix at night. And I would listen to a little bit... (laughs) Steve, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I just love that I finally got to do that after seven years. So I would listen to a little bit of radio as I was going to bed and I lay in bed and there was something about like the soft warm glow, you know how the little backlight in the the old clock radios because they had a dial where you would dial in the station and there was a line across the the little face of the clock radio and a little red line that went back and forth uh, as you dialed it in. And there's something about the warm glow of of the little light that came out from behind the the station selector. And so I would turn on and listen to the radio at night as I laid there in bed. And uh, my favorite thing was on Sunday nights, they would play Dr. Demento. Is anybody old enough to remember Dr. Demento? Yes! Okay, so I would listen to Dr. Demento when he was alive. And he would, his show was being broadcast live, and he would play Weird Al Yankovic, and he would play uh, that song uh, about shaving cream. Anybody remember that one? Yeah? Yeah, I have a sad story to tell you. I really don't want to tell it. But when I walked into the bathroom, I stepped in a pile of shaving cream. Shave every day and keep nice and clean. Yes, okay. So... But on a a different night, (laughs) when Dr. Demento wasn't playing, there was a guy that I would listen to named Reverend Ike. Does anybody know who Reverend Ike is? Okay. Reverend Ike, as I would would lay there in bed, I would listen to Reverend Ike, and Reverend Ike would talk about uh, how God wanted people to drive nice cars and have a lot of money and... Uh, and I mean, just basically kind of like saying, God, there's a secret for God to blessing you with financial riches, and, uh, and I would listen to it really, and it just like went rapt attention, and he said it, basically he called it the secret of good luck, like there was a secret to good luck. This was a, a reverend preaching, and I would listen, I was a kid, we had nothing, I was, you know, my parents were divorced, my brother and I lived with my mom, who at the time wasn't working, we were on welfare, you know, most of my clothes were hand-me-downs, and to hear somebody tell me that there was a secret to having what my heart's desire, you know, and all I had to do was send him $20, and he would send me Reverend Ike's secret to good luck. And, uh, and I, you know, what the thing about, you know, Reverend Ike, I kind of did a Google search on him, uh, when I was writing this message, and he, like, he ended up dying like a multi-millionaire. Well, no wonder, everybody was sending him 20 bucks for his secret to good luck. No, I, I guess the secret to good luck, really, is getting people to send you money for your secret to good luck. And, uh, so, I, I and I remember, uh, you know, he'd go on, he'd talk about that thing, and what was implied was that God was holding out on me because I wasn't following the right formula. There was some sort of formula. There was a secret to good luck. There was a way of praying. There was a way of addressing God. There was, there was this way, there was this secret, and, uh, and that's why I was poor. That's why, you know, my, my mom was on welfare. that's why we barely got by. That's why we had a huge block of cheese in our refrigerator was because we didn't know the secret to good luck. We just didn't know it. And I didn't have $20 to send him. I maybe had $5 at one time. That would have been a lot of money for me back then. And so uh, his preaching and, and, and the preaching of a lot of other sort of evangelists of the 80s, when I, where I grew up, painted this picture of a transactional God. This idea of a transactional God, right? If I say the right thing in my prayers, if I pray the formula, then God will answer them the way I want him to, right? In this sort of transactional relationship with God, it's almost like, you know, God is more of a genie. And if you say the right thing, and you use the right language, and you speak in King James... In thou and thee, and make sure to always say in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers, then you'll get what you want. If you behave a certain way, then God will love you more. You'll be more favored. If I, then he. If I, then he. And in time, this sort of Christianity, this sort of walk with God, becomes dead religion and it's bondage, and it feels great to people who are measuring up. It feels great to people who aren't screwing up, who seem to be living right, who seem to kind of have their devotional life in order, they're doing all the right things. It feels great and downright miserable to people who are not meeting the standards required for God to show us this kind of favor. You following me? And so this is not a new phenomenon. This is not something that was all of a sudden you know, came to be during the day of television preachers and, and Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson. This is not something that came to be during those times uh, or, or during the advent of Christian uh, evangelists and televangelists, radio evangelists. Since the church began, this has been happening. Church Since the church, since the very, 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 very beginning, some well-meaning and some not-so-well-meaning uh, people who have been preaching the wrong thing. And sometimes, though, it can be hard to tell. Sometimes it can be hard to tell. And the reason why sometimes it can be hard to tell if somebody's coming from a wrong place is because if a false teaching agrees with our bias, we have a hard time calling it a false teaching. Because we all have our biases, don't we? We all do. If you don't believe me, just open up Facebook, right? We all have our biases. So what does God have to say about this, and, and how does this tie into 2 Corinthians? And I think it's, this is an important thing. You guys know in eight years, I have never preached about other preachers. And so I, 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 I try to stay away from that as much as possible, because I believe you're big boys and girls who can discern things. And, uh, and, and I just don't believe that I'm always right. And uh, when you know that you're not always right, you know you should probably not poke at other people. And so, uh, but I want to see what Paul has to say about this. I want to see what Paul has to say. And so we're going to do that, but first let's pray. God, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would use it to, uh, God, that through your word today, you would reach into and you would poke at those places that we don't always like to be poked at. God, that you would reach in and that you would challenge our beliefs and challenge our biases and challenge uh, our thinking, God. God, we want your word to transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, all right, it's no surprise that the church of Corinth had some preachers among them that were not preaching the word of God correctly. And Paul must have noticed the fruit ...from this. When you read this chapter, you go... ...Paul's poking at something. Paul's addressing something. Paul has seen the fruit of some bad teaching... ...and now he's addressing it. And so, in verses 2-4, through he says... ...for I am jealous for you... ...with the jealousy... ...of God himself. I promised you as a... ...pure bride... ...to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow... Your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with what anyone tells you. I love that. You happily put up with what anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. So we're going to to jump down to verses 19 and 20, and he says this. He says, After all, you think you are wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, $20 for that secret of good luck, (laughs) takes advantages of, of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. So if you remember one thing this morning, I want you to remember this. Real teaching brings real life. Real teaching brings real life. I mean, if it doesn't bring life, it's not. It's not the gospel. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that real biblical teaching is always going to make you happy. Okay? So I want to preface that. I want you to understand this isn't about uh, feeling happy. Okay? Okay? Uh, you know, it's not always going to make you feel happy. It's not always going to make you feel good. But real teaching will point you in the direction of abundant life. Even if it's a rebuke, even if it's a rebuke, it's going to point you in the way of abundant life. In fact, you know, I, I've had some pretty, uh, I've had some rebukes in my life that have felt pretty miserable. I've they have brought me to tears, right? But they have pointed me towards abundant life. In John ten ten, Jesus says, "The thief's purpose is to." steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying. So Jesus is saying that's his purpose. That's the purpose of the gospel is life. That's the deal. That's what Jesus offers is life and life abundantly. Okay. And so Jesus' offer has always been and always will be life. It do, if it doesn't bring life, it's not Jesus. If it doesn't bring life, it's not Jesus. So if you're listening to preachers, or you're reading authors, and they're not life-giving, then take a break. Take a break. Ask the Lord for discernment. There there have been preachers that were really, especially some that were really popular back when I was growing up and I was a teenager. There was one guy who was always preaching out of Revelation, all the time, and he was always predicting something that was going to happen, and that we all better get ready, Right? And I was scared crapless every time I would listen to him, and that thing that he said was going to come happen come October, come November. It seems like every election, every would-be prophet comes out and talks about how this is the one, and if we don't get this one right, all hell is going to rain down. Rain down, right? And I, and I would spend every four years, I would spend every fall terrified because of preachers that would come out of the woodwork and just begin to go you know attach verses of revelation to the to the election <sighs> if you're listening to that right now give yourself a little break give yourself a breather just you know what just it's okay it's all right you know I've addressed that before it was sort of like we seem to, we see, uh, those sort of things promise some level of comfort. If I have this, if I have knowledge, I'll have, I have some sort of comfort. I'm, I'm protected somehow if I have knowledge. But then, uh, but then what that leads to is just more anxiety. And then we think, if I take in more knowledge, I'll be less anxious. I'll have more comfort about what's happening in our world and all those things. And so we listen to more of it, and then we feel more anxious. Y'all see the vicious cycle revolving around that sort of teaching, and so be careful. Be careful. Shut it off. You, know, if you Look at the words of Jesus, okay? Look at the words of Jesus. Jesus said a few things about the end times, and he was pretty cryptic about it. Think about it, but not once when you read Jesus' words do you sit there with anxiety, wondering if you should be stockpiling rice in your basement, okay? Now, I'm not telling you buying a little extra rice is a bad idea, right? I'm just telling you, if you're listening to teaching that makes you feel anxious and fearful, then give it a break. Give it a rest, okay? How do we know? How do we know? Here's some questions. Does it bring more or less freedom? It's an important question to ask yourself about what you're listening to, about the teaching you're listening to. Does it bring more freedom or less freedom? In 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, Paul says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Isn't that awesome? So, when we look at the scripture, let's extract. What does this mean? I mean, Paul is saying, what? If you look like Jesus, you're going to have more freedom, right? If you have more freedom, if you're walking in greater freedom today, you look a little bit more like Jesus, right? Because Jesus ain't wringing his hands. Jesus isn't wondering why the Father's holding out on him. Jesus isn't spending 20 bucks to River Nike, okay? He's got freedom. Have you, ever, have you ever heard of a sermon that made you feel more bound than free? Right? More bound? I have. I've listened to messages that have made me feel more bound than free. Uh, have you ever felt more hopeless for, uh, from a message? It, listen, if I've ever done that, if I've ever preached a message that made you feel more bound than free, my apologies. I'm just doing my best. But, I'm sorry, my apologies if you've ever heard one of my messages and you felt more bound than free. Okay? And so uh, beware of those who are trying to put you under a, a, a legalistic religious system. Just beware of those. Um, you know, pastors are uh, some of, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself. Since I'm a pastor, I can tell pastor jokes. Yeah? I'm also a quarter Polish, so I can tell those jokes too. But uh, pastors are some of the most insecure people you will ever meet in your entire life so just 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 radiating with insecurity and so what does insecurity like to do insecurity likes to control likes to make sure that they got they, they can kind of and so that's why pastors can be kind of controlling and manipulating and 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 that's that insecurity you know and so um be very careful if, if you're listening to somebody who puts you under a more legalistic religious system, okay? does it bring more freedom or less freedom? That's so important. Okay? And so the next thing is this. Does it promote a feeling of shaky salvation? Does it? I mean, think about that for a minute. You know what I'm talking about. It's one of those messages where you feel like a sinner in the hands of an angry God. I know that that is one of the most famous sermons ever, preached by the late Jonathan Edwards, right? Yes. That's not George... No, okay, yeah, that's Jonathan Edwards. I hate that sermon. I think it's a horrible sermon. And, and you know, you listen to it, and you hear the story how people were weeping and repenting through that, you know, all of that. that. That's great. And my answer to that is God can use anything, right? But it's a horrible sermon. It is not the gospel. It is. We you, listen. You. That sermon says that you're basically dangling over the fires of hell by a thread, by a spider's web, right? And 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 there are people that preach like that. And listen, I'm all about addressing sin. But you are not a sinner in the hands of an angry God. You're a sinner in the hands of a loving God, right? Isn't that awesome? And so. Uh, you know, you hear these sermons and like for the next few days, you feel like you got to repent for everything. Right? You feel like you got to repent for everything. You're like, you stub your toe and you go, poop. Oh, God, forgive me for saying poop. Only you didn't say poop. Right? And you feel like you've just got to repent for everything just to keep your bases covered. You ever feel like that? You're on shaky salvation. Shaky, just in case. And and rather than lifting up the completed work of the cross, the message might as well be, Jesus paid it all, but you're going to have to work for it. And that is not the gospel. Religion says do, but Jesus says what? Done. Okay, let me try that again. Religion says do, but Jesus says? It's done. Done, right? Okay. Does it promote a feeling of shaky salvation? The next thing is this, and this is huge, and we kind of touched on this earlier. Does it advocate formulas? Does it advocate formulas? We love formulas, don't we? We are people who love formulas. Give us the one, two, three. Give us the A, B, C. Give us that little hack. Give us that little trick. Give us that formula. Just tell me what to do. Man, I tell you, as a pastor, lots of people come and talk to me uh, about different things in their life who are, just want God to tell them what to do. Just, I just want God to tell me what to do. And so, uh, you know, or or these messages are like, just follow these simple steps and God will answer your prayers. Follow these simple steps. I remember one time I was in a prayer meeting, I was in a prayer circle, and afterwards someone came up to me and basically told me that God wasn't going to answer my prayers because I had a verbal crutch. Because I was saying a little verbal crutch during my prayers, and they were like, you know, I don't think God really hears that. I think... I think God's turned off by that, you know. And, uh, and we tease people with verbal crutches who say Father God a hundred times during a prayer or whatever. But listen, uh, this idea of the kind of formula is not book, all right. Uh, it, or, or just send the preacher your money and you'll get rich, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, we completely forget that God's economy is different than ours. And I believe that God's economy is so different from ours that, and, and that there are parts of it we just don't get, that we just don't understand. You know, God will not be boxed in by transactional behavior. God will not be manipulated. Because as soon as you figure out how to work the system, you know, work God, as it were, guess what? He's going to go, nope, I don't work that way. And every time you go, okay, well, I'll figure it out again, and God go, nope, I don't work that way. Okay, God will not be boxed in by our transactional behavior. And you know what else? God does not live by our sense of fairness. We tend to apply our sense of fairness to God, right? God, why don't you heal me? I've, I've, I've been volunteering in kids for five years. Why don't you heal me? God, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this and that, and I pray every day, why don't you do X, Y, and Z? All right? It's quiet, because I know you all have done that. You all have thought that. God doesn't live by your sense of fairness or my sense of fairness either. He's too big. He's too big, right? He doesn't have to answer your prayers for healing because you did X, Y, and Z. He wants to. right? But God is not petty. God is really generous. God is really generous. His love is greater than the greatest love that you can imagine, all right? And the last thing is this. Does it align with a Jesus that loves you so much that he was willing to die for you? Think about that complete sentence. Does your thoughts of Jesus, does this message that you're hearing, does it align with the Jesus that loved so much he was willing to die for you? Remember, Paul said some people are preaching a Jesus that isn't the real Jesus. Now, we have that today, okay? But Jesus' love for you is so immense and so intense that he was willing to die for you. Think about the the next time someone preaches a Jesus that's mad at you, okay, for not being able to quit smoking on the third try, right? Who's mad at you because you haven't been able to overcome this bad habit or this habitual sin. Who's upset with you, right? you You and I might do that. You know, I'm not Jesus, so I get frustrated with people, right? But guess what? Jesus is Jesus, and he does it. And he loves you so much he was willing to die for you and did die for you. Think about that the next time. Someone says that God isn't going to hear your prayers because you haven't been consistent in your prayer life lately. I mean, come on. If you haven't been told that, I'm sure you've thought that. God's not hearing me because I haven't been consistent in prayer lately. I'm, I've got to get God to warm up to me again by being consistent for a few days, and then I'll feel like we're okay again. But that's not God, okay? Because we know this because Jesus gave us the story of the prodigal son where the father ran down the road to meet the son. Okay? Isn't that awesome? Okay. Jesus said that his purpose was to give you a rich and satisfying life. That was his his purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He sought you out. You have to remember that the next time you're feeling far from God, And you're feeling like, well, will he take me back? Will he love me? I think he's sort of upset with me. We've been on the outs lately. You have to remember that he's the one who sought you out. You didn't seek him out and he agreed to take you in. He sought you out. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save you, not to condemn you. It's so funny. I don't know why it's so easy to receive that initial salvation. But then, like, as we've been walking with him for years, we it's almost like we default to these weird religious ideas, this transactional God, right? And, and you know, make sure that your image of Christ, uh, that, your, that your teachers, that the people that you're listening to, that their painting aligns with the greatest love in the universe. The greatest love in the universe. And this was Paul is talking to, you know, the Corinthians about this. And so uh, as, as we close this morning, I just want you to take inventory, Take inventory of the voices speaking into your life. Take inventory to those that you are learning from, those who you are reading and listening to. Uh, take inventory. You know, do you like them because they confirm your bias? Is that why you like to listen to them? Because you, you can amen them a lot? You, know, you can agree with them a lot? Um, do you like them because a certain amount of punishment feels good? If you got if you got a little bit of religious spirit in you, sometimes a little punishment feels good. Oh, I like it when somebody just tells me like it is. Well, sometimes they were just, they're just, you know, they're just confirmation bias, even if it is one that makes us feel like a little bit beaten over the head. It's one thing to get challenged, it's another thing to get kicked in the gut every time you listen to somebody, okay? And so uh, do they just confirm your bias? Do you just enjoy the fun- the punishment? Does that punishment make you feel a little more holy to be told how rotten you are, right? Do they lead you to real life? Do they lead you to greater freedom? Do they paint a picture of God's love and his generosity and his grace? That's important. I just want to pray um, as the worship team comes, but we do have a prayer team back there. And if you would like Just, uh, how do I address this? If you would like prayer, because maybe you have kind of taken on some of these things. Those thoughts about you being a horrible wretch, a sinner in the hands of an angry God, those uh, biases, those, you know, maybe you're approaching God in a transactional relationship. Go get prayer. Go get prayer. Why am I saying don't just sit there and kind of go, okay, you know, pray in your head or whatever? Because sometimes what happens is, is that, you know, a, a spirit can attach itself to you. A spirit of condemnation. A spirit of deception. And, and I, so I want somebody who is free and following Jesus to put their hands on your shoulders and pray. Uh, a prayer of freedom over you. So go get prayer this morning. And I'll go back there too. And I'll pray for you if you'd like. And Bethany's back there. But uh, get prayer. Have somebody pray for you today. will not you all stand with me? God, we, we love you. And we thank you, Father, that your heart, your word, your message is life. Your heart, your word, your message is grace. And God, though sometimes I think it might be easier to be in a transactional relationship where we just know what to say and do and you'll do it, God, you're so much bigger than that and you have a reason for that. And it's that you just love us so incredibly deep, that you love us so much. You love us too much to downgrade our relationship with you to a transactional one. God, we just shake off all that which does not bring life and freedom. And we receive all that you have done and won for us. In Jesus' name.